right. Good morning, Harbor Church. It is, um, it's definitely turning into wintertime, and I know a bunch of you are excited about that. Um, I'm more excited just because it gets a little cooler. We don't have to worry, but it gets wet. Um, <clears throat> so I figured I'd start off this morning by giving you a little, a little fact about me that most of you probably don't know. You see, going into my, my junior year of high school, I got to go to a new school. And now when I say new school, not just new to me, but I mean a brand new high school, which was really fun for a lot of reasons. Like at this new high school, we had no seniors. So as a junior, I got to be like a senior two years in a row without ever having to repeat a grade. Another fun part was as a new high school, we got to set up many first. We got to set up and lay the foundation for many transit, our, uh, traditions that would take place going forward. The one that I'm most proud of was um, TPing the re- head wrestling coach's house every year before a large wrestling tournament. And from what I understand, that went on for years afterwards. <clears throat> because it was a brand new high school, I managed to claim a couple of firsts at the school. Uh, for example, I was the first person at the high school to ever get kicked out of a varsity water polo game. Not my fault. It was a bad call. I was also the first person to get kicked out of a varsity wrestling tournament. Again, it was a bad call. I was disqualified. Um, I bring this up to call our attention to what Jeremy talked about last week, about how at the end of chapter 9, Paul says that I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I, I myself should be disqualified. And I want this to be in the back of our minds as we look at chapter 10. And it might be no- worth noting here that we've got to remember that the chapters and verses are not inspired. They're not like Paul res- wasn't writing, oh, here's chapter 10. And that this is really just a continuation of Paul's thought. So today we'll be focusing on chapter 10, verses 1 through 22, which is really, again, an extension of a thought that Paul started in chapter 8, continued on through 9, and, and we'll kind of get to the end of it in chapter 10. And as we look at this passage of Scripture, I, I see kind of one overarching theme that we'll explore by zeroing in on three pivotal words. So the overarching theme is this, idolatry is the root of a disqualified Christian. So if you're a note taker, just on the top of the page, idolatry is the root of a disqualified Christian. And the three words that I've kind of organized my thoughts around are unaware, examples, and flee. In other words, we don't want you to be unaware that idolatry is the root of a disqualified Christian. And we'll see examples of idolatry being the root of a disqualified Christian. And lastly, we are to flee from idolatry because it is the root of a disqualified Christian. So with that as an introduction, would you please bow your heads with me as we continue to pray for our time in God's word this morning. Father, I am thankful that you've given us your word to communicate your love for us. I thank you for your Holy Spirit who opens up Scripture to us, making it alive and active. I ask that you would open our hearts to what you have for us in your word today. Would your Holy Spirit shine a light on the idols in our lives, convict us where we fall short, so that we may repent and turn back to Jesus for his amazing grace. Pray that the words and thoughts will be communicated clearly for your glory and our good. I ask this in Jesus' name. Okay, so if you have your Bible, we will be continuing our worship by looking at 1 Corinthians 10. That's 1 Corinthians 10, starting in verse 1. I'll give you a second to get there. Okay, 
For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea, were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most, with most of them, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown into the wilderness. <clears throat> we'll take a quick pause right there. And here we see the first of the three words that we're zeroing in on, unaware. And Paul gives us a pretty stark and dire warning in these first few verses. Mainly, he doesn't want them to be unaware that they can enjoy the benefits and spiritual experiences and yet still be disqualified. Look again at what Paul is doing here. He's making them recall the Exodus story. God has taken his people out of slavery of Egypt. And more so, he's using them as an analogy that they too had been baptized, that they had walked through the dry ground while escaping that pursuing army. They had, been, they had taken part in communion by eating the same spiritual food and drink. Paul is linking them to our main sacraments that we as Christians hold on to. Yet he points out that God was not pleased and therefore they were overthrown in the wilderness. <clears throat> The people had just seen the plagues brought on by Pharaoh and killing his firstborn son. They had witnessed the sea walls being held up so that they could walk through on dry ground. They followed a great cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. And they drank water from a rock. And yet they grumbled the whole time. (laughs) They wanted to go back into slavery. They've even made idols and defied God. They managed to enjoy the spiritual blessings and became totally disqualified. So I remember a few years back, I was, I was reading a book by a guy named J.C. Ryle, old dad guy, his book called Holiness. And one of the points that really shook me was he was talking about this very thing. And he used Lot's wife as an example. They were to flee the city before it was destroyed. And the one command that they were told is, don't look back. And she does, and, and, and her looking back causes her to turn into a pillar of salt. If you've ever seen Mel Brooks' History of the World Part 1, he's got a really funny thing about that. See, she was able to enjoy parts of spiritual blessing of the salvation without ever receiving salvation. She was able to enjoy the protection. Yet her heart wasn't fixated, not on the things of God, but on the things of the world. She got to enjoy the community of God and the blessings that came with it, but she never got to enjoy God. She was an outsider. And, and John and I have seen this sadly many times with people that we went to Bible college with. You know, people who once seemed totally committed and on fire and lost because they enjoyed the spiritual experiences, but never to be quite God for who he is. They were disqualified. Even in the Gospels, we hear probably one of the most bone-chilling things that could ever happen A group comes to Jesus saying, Lord, Jesus, we did this in your name and we did this in your name. And he says to them, get away from me, for I never knew you. For they really didn't do anything in Jesus' name. They didn't know Jesus. They just merely used his name like a magic word, like abracadabra. Family, I don't want you to be unaware. I don't want idolatry in your life to be the root that disqualifies you from the heavenly crowns that Jeremy spoke about last week. And friends, I don't want you to be unaware that the idols of your heart that promised to fill that God-shaped hole 
that can only be contained by Jesus, and they fail to do it. I don't want you to be lost about that. So this is a good time to define what an idol is. For, you know, we don't really have images of stone and wood, you know, of animals or of messed up humans anymore. Nor do we, you know, we don't have any of those, but our, our idols tend to be a little more slick, a little more deceptive. And I heard this definition years ago, and it's the one that I found to be most helpful, is that an idol is anything that promises to get you out of what your own personal hell is. So what do I mean by that? I mean, if you think about what your own personal hell is, like what's the worst thing that could ever happen? And for everyone, this is different. And so for some people, the idea of being poor is there like that's the worst, that's the lowest level of hell for them. Therefore, anything that promises to make you rich or keep you from being desolate, that's the idol. And this is something I see at work all the time, whether with my colleagues or with my clients, it's like, They'll have a little bit of money. If it goes down a cent, oh my gosh, I'm getting 10 phone calls in a day. Because that is what makes them feel safe. It's, their, it's where, it, like, again, that idol is that, that personal hell for them. This could be the pursuit of relationships. I can think of a handful of people that wanted to be married so bad that that was all they thought about. And that they went outside of the church and, and were pulled away from the church in pursuit of that. Or if only if I had this one job... Or if I was retired. Or if I had this title, then life would be better. If I had kids, that would make me complete. Or you're chasing material toys, food, experiences. Having that perfect beach body. Or one that, I'll be honest, I suffer from is like boredom. Get me out of boredom. So what do I do? I'm on the phone because that'll distract and, and, and keep my attention. This is just a short list that I spent maybe a minute thinking about. And I'm sure that we could think of many more. And here's the other part about idols is that they're tricky. And I love what one pastor and theologian, John Calvin, put it. That our, they're tricky because our hearts are idol factories. It turns out that we're hardwired to worship. And when we don't worship God, when we don't worship Jesus, it's not as if we don't worship at all. No, in fact, we worship anything. Our hearts will erect the idols. And we learn in Jeremiah 17:9, and we should have a slide for this one that the heart is deceitful above all things, desperately sick. Who can understand it? So family, let us not be unaware. So let's continue in verse six. Look with me there. Now, these things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were, as it is written. The people sat down to eat and drink and rose to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did. And 23,000 fell in a single day. Nor must we put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by the serpents. Nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example. And th- but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of ages has come. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man but is But God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure. And we'll pause right there. So I hope many of you kind of picked out that second word that we're zeroing in on. That's the word of examples. We have examples of idolatry being the root of a disqualified Christian. And Paul clearly states that even the events that took place in the Bible 
took place for it to be examples for us. You know, specifically, he's talking about the Exodus story, and more implicitly, we're talking about the whole Bible. If you look again at verse 11, now these things happen to be as an example, but they were written down for your instruction. Essentially, the Bible is the original kook slams or fail army Instagram page of humanity. It's filled with plenty of what not to do. I would even argue that the Bible is not the basic instructions before leaving earth, but it's a list of humanity's failures. Even when we look at like that hero's list in the book of Hebrews in chapter 11, and when you look at it, if you take a little bit deeper of a dive, you see that it's filled with drunks, liars, murderers, and schemers. Throughout scripture, we have many examples of what not to do so that we won't desire evil. The implication of the text to me is pretty clear. We have these examples. They've been written down for our instruction. Then we should read and learn all we can from them. We do this in a variety of ways. We can do this on our own. And it means that having a structured and reoccurring habit of reading your Bible. And I remember a few years back, I was getting for this world championship of jiu-jitsu. And I was getting up at like 5 o'clock in the morning, three days a week to get to the gym, to work out before I had to go into the office. And, 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 and then I was really convicted. I was like, man, I don't have time to read my Bible on some days, but I'm willing to get up at five o'clock in the morning to go to the gym to try to win a medal that will mean nothing to me in a few years. I think I can get up a little bit earlier on, on most days and spend 15, 20 minutes reading. Another good thing that we do on top of reading on our own is that we read in groups. As a church, we do this in three ways. First, we do it here on Sunday. If you're new, we go through books of the Bible. We also don't put the text on screen because we want you to open up your Bibles and follow along. And I'm pretty sure that if it was up to John, he wouldn't even let you have a Bible app on your phone. He would make you bring the actual Bible. We want you to be able to engage with Scripture with us corporately. We also do this during, uh, together during our community groups. That's where we get together throughout the week each Sunday, in each other, or not each Sunday, we get together throughout the week in our homes and read and discuss either what's ha- what the, the upcoming text or the, te- or the passage that we just did this week. I lead the middle of the line group. If you're in that area and you're looking for a community group, come and see me. In an effort, we do this in an effort to till and prepare the soil of our hearts for the next week. It's also a time where we spend a devoted chunk of time of praying for each other. Lastly, and this is the one that I feel most convicted about, they spend time reading as a family. I absolutely love the fact that Aya knows what my Bible looks like. It sits on the table in the spot where I normally eat and where I normally do a lot of my work. And I will sit there and she'll see it in her cute little voice and she'll point at it and go, Bible. I go, yeah, that's right. What do we learn about in the Bible? Jesus. I have no idea how or why she figured that out, but I love it. Even with all of this, I rarely take the time to read out loud to my family, and it's something that I'll have to figure out how to work out into our daily rituals, and I would challenge you to do the same. I'm saying this from up here so Anna can remind me later on in the week, like, hey, buddy, you said you, were gonna, you wanted to do this, so let's figure it out. We have the greatest examples of Scripture, but we also have a wealth of examples throughout church history and each other. Uh, man, if you ever want to see the type of men that Jesus men and women, that Jesus uses. Read some biographies about anyone that you think was an awesome person of God. It's eye-opening. They are examples of what to do or what not to do. And before I move on, I want to draw our attention back to verse 12. So every time I see a therefore, 
in Scripture. It's a mental flag that I plant because it's to draw our attention typically what comes next in Paul's letters. Paul typically does this. He lays out this big theological idea, an argument, if you will. And he's basically saying like, look, if this is true, and then if this is true, and if this is true, therefore do this. So in our case today, because we are not unaware of what happened in the past, these things have happened, not just to be examples for us that we might not desire evil, but to instruct us. Therefore, as we look at verse 12, and 13, we see this, therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with temptation, he will provide the way of escape. So with this, I see three powerful truths that I don't want us to miss in these two verses. And to be honest, this could probably be a whole sermon in itself. First, whatever idol or temptation you are struggling with, it is not new, nor is it special. Second, during our time of temptation, God is faithful. And this is a beautiful thing, just how faithful God is to us, even in the midst of our unfaithfulness. There, God always provides a way of escape. The ability to escape is because we are no longer to slave to sin or to idols. You have to remember that God, being rich in mercy, sent his son Jesus who is fully God, fully man, being the perfect mediator between creator and creation, came to live that perfect life, overcame temptation and sin, was put on the cross for our propitiation, for our sins, died in our place, and was raised as proof of such. For those of us who, have, who believe in this, who, who hold fast to this truth, that Jesus is the one that comes to save, the chains of sin and idols are broken. When Jesus captures your heart, he makes you a new creation. This is what theologians call justification. You are made legally right with God. And most of us do not end up perfect after that happens. At the point of conversion, no, we're at that point a lump of clay. That's being molded, manipulated, formed, shaved, sanded by a master sculptor. And, and as he does this, we look more and more like Jesus. And, the, and theologians call that process sanctification. Some of you may be here and are still a slave to sin, bound, gagged, doomed. Friends, Jesus, Jesus offers you freedom. And if you feel burdened, overwhelmed, controlled by the idols of your life, God gives you the way out. And that way is Jesus. If you want this freedom, please come and talk to me. Talk to anybody you've seen up here today. We'd love to tell you about the Jesus that destroys idols of your heart. With that, let's dive back into, into the passage, looking at verse 14. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak as to sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. The cup of blessing that we bless is not participation in the blood of Christ. The bread that we break is not participation in the body of Christ. Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body. For we all partake of one bread. Consider the people of Israel. Are not those who eat the sacrifices participant in the altar? What do I apply then? That food offered to idols is anything or that an idol is anything? No. I imply that what pagan sacrifice they offer to demons and not to God. I don't want you to be participants with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake in the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Shall we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? Now we focus on that last word that I wanted to zero in on, and that's flee. 
remember, you guys remember the rule about therefores. We're not to be unaware. We have these examples for our instruction so that we won't fall into temptation. Therefore, flee. It feels as if Paul is taking it a step further than fleeing from idols and idolatry, but saying, don't even put yourself in the position to be trapped by doing so and then provoking the Lord to jealousy. See this as a time I was in high school. Me and my friends heard about this warehouse party that was going to happen, and we thought it sounded like a pretty good idea to go check it out. A little odd for me, because I'm not really the party type of person, even, or at least at that point in my life, and actually I've never really been a party person, come to think of it. Well, shortly after arriving at this party, never actually getting into the party, never got into the warehouse, cops show up. Me and my friends all got detained and issued what is called an MIP. For those of you who were on the right side of the law, that is called a minor in possession. We didn't even get into the party. Didn't have anything to drink, and the, bo- and the cops basically hit everybody there with that same thing regardless. Moral of the story, if I never went, never placed myself in that position, I would have never got the ticket. In the same way Paul is telling us never to come to the table, or in my case, go to the warehouse party. Another way that we flee is to focus on what my friend uh, Chris Morris would call the white button. You see what we see, especially those who deal with addiction, is that they might flee from one addiction, but they end up fleeing to another. And hopefully the other addiction is, is a healthier one. So we go, oh, like, yeah, he used to be into drugs and alcohol, but now he works out a ton. It's a better one to do, but they're up all day just, like, doing all the stuff. So the idea of the white button is that, you know, we're, we're generally told, like, hey, don't push the red button. So what do we do? We sit there and fixate on not pressing the red button. We just constantly think about the red button. Don't touch it. And so what ends up happening? We touch the red button. So the idea of the white button is that instead of we have to understand that if we're fleeing from one thing, we have to flee to something else. That white button in my friend Chris's analogy is Jesus. Instead of focusing so much on not pressing the, white, or the red button, you've got to focus on the white button, focus on Jesus. It's hard to fixate on an idol when your eyes are set on Jesus. Another way of looking at it, it's more important to flee to something than to flee from something more important to flee to something than it is to flee from something. To flee from sin, but when you do it, flee to Jesus. Flee as not to provoke God's jealousy. Flee because you cannot have two masters, for you'll hate one and love the other. Flee because Christ has broken the chains of slavery and idolatry. Flee because idolatry is the root of disqualified Christian. Would you please bow your heads with me as I pray? Father, there are... So many times that we get tricked by our heart, pursuing idols that we just half the time aren't even aware of it. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would open up our hearts and and search it out and find where those factories lie and just just rip them out. Our hearts are truly deceitful and, and, and know them. You do. So Lord, I pray that you would search our hearts. You would make us aware of our idols and that we would flee from them, that we would run. Pray all these things in Jesus' name.